forsake not the assembling of yourselves, even more so as you see the day of the war approaching. This is a good example today because one person can be on the top of the mountain while the other person is absolutely seems like they're going under. And so the Bible calls us to assemble in our faith family so that we can encourage one another, strengthen the knees that are feeble, lift up the shoulders that are slumped down. And so that we do not grow weary in well-doing because we will reap if we faint not. Amen? If you have your Bible today, if you would turn with me to the Old Testament, to a book of Hosea, to the book of Hosea, be after Psalms, if you find the book of Daniel and make immediate right, it'll be right there. The book of Hosea, we're going to be in chapter 2 and verse 7, and then we're going to be in Hosea chapter 3 and verse 1. Last week we looked at a message on dealing with uh, <clears throat> the lost coin and the lost sheep and uh, moving in, into the direction that the Lord's leading. I mean, week before last, last week we had our baby dedication and uh, we looked at that and today I want to talk to you about being a chaser, about being a chaser. Because as Americans, we can chase like nobody's business. I had them write the definition on the wall. <laughs> I wanted you to look at it all service. And uh, I wanted you to get it. It says, chase is to pursue in order to catch. Now, we knew that, right? But it's the last part that we really didn't know about. To follow or devote one's attention to with the hope of attracting, winning, are gaining to devote when we chase after something we're devoting ourselves to that object of our chasing now what's interesting is we looked um in our house churches this week <clears throat> we began a study on going fishing and how god called us to be fishers of men how he called us to be fish. He called the disciples. He said, if you'll follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. You know, he didn't say, I'll, I'll make you a preacher. He didn't make, say, I'll make you a teacher. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. Wow, what was the most important thing was that you and I as believers be the catalyst that changes lives all around us. And so before we can really get into that, we have to first identify what is it that we're chasing. The Bible says this to, in 2 Corinthians, to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. In Peter it says to let judgment begin at the house of the Lord. Now I know none of those scriptures are very popular because they deal with us and not our neighbor. David said in Psalms 51, search me, O Lord. Try me, O Lord. And see if there be any wicked way. He didn't say search my neighbor. He didn't say search the high priest. He didn't say search my wife. Amen. Or search my husband. Search my children. He said Lord deal with me. And if we can begin to deal with ourselves, Great things can happen. Gypsy Smith a great uh, evangelist said this. If you want revival to begin. Find you a prayer closet. Find you an isolated room. 
and in the middle of that room, take a piece of chalk and on the floor, draw a circle all the way around it and get in the middle of it and say, Lord, start right here. And I'm going to tell you today that God is up to something. God is moving. God is ruling. God is reigning. God, God is transforming lives. We are seeing people born again. We are seeing people give their heart and life to Jesus Christ. We are seeing restitution being made to people. We are seeing reconciliation take place that once thought could never be reconciled. We are seeing God-sized things happen. But God wants to start in our own heart. We always want him to start somewhere else. And I'm going to tell you today that God wants to really and truly rock your world. I read a quote not long ago by Charles Spurgeon, who has many great quotes. But here's what he said. I may have shared this already a couple of weeks ago, but you're going to hear it a bunch over the next month in our new sermon series. He said, if I was the most selfish man in the world, you with me? The most selfish man in the world, I would be a soul winner. Because he says there's no greater feeling than knowing that somebody's life has been changed for all of eternity and you were the catalyst that brought about that change. He said, if I was the most selfish man in the world and didn't care about anybody else, I would win people to Jesus so I'd feel better. That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? If you've ever led anybody to Christ, can you say amen? That's a good feeling. That's a good feeling. That's a great opportunity, knowing that God used you. But before we can be <clears throat> a bona fide fisher of men, we've got to find out what we're chasing. Great fishermen chase the fish. You say, well, how do they chase the fish? They can't even see it. Well, how many, have you ever been to a bass tournament? You ever saw one take off? I'm going to tell you, when you get there, there's not many John boats there. There's not many P-Rows or kayaks. What's there? Big boats. Big motors. I mean, big stuff. Why? Because they're chasing. They're trying to outrun the person next to them to, get, to chase the fish down the river to get to where they are. It's all, about, it's all about pursuing in order to catch. It's all about following to devote one's attention to in the hope of attracting, winning, or gaining. I mean, they're devoted to it. I mean, that's why they go and they pre-fish. And they go back and they pre-fish. And they go and they pre-fish again. They go and they're looking for the fish. They're looking for the place. They're doing everything they can to pursue them. Now, for those of us who aren't that great a fisherman, we, we, do, we, we pursue them ourselves, but they're called guides. They say, I'll give you a hundred bucks, you take me and show me where the fish are. And you see, it's all about the pursuing, but the, the thing is, if we're going to be a chaser, what are we chasing? And I want you to know today that every one of us in this building, we're chasing something. In our lives, every one of us are pursuing something in order to catch it. Now, a lot of us are like the puppy that caught the car. We're not going to know what to do with it when we caught it. But it doesn't, it doesn't keep the dog from chasing the car. Amen? But you see, we're going to follow. We're going to devote one's attention to in the hope of winning, gaining, or attracting. 
just getting on the cutting edge of it. Look at this passage of scripture in Hosea chapter 1 and verse 7. She, she shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me than now. If you're familiar with the book of Hosea, you know what they're talking about. If you're not, let me give you a little background real quick. Hosea was a harlot. I mean, Gomer was a harlot. Hosea was a prophet. God said, you go and find that harlot, and I want you to marry her. Make her your wife. And Hosea was obedient, and he did that exact same thing. And he had children by her. And they had these children, and then she became so infatuated with the world that she no longer wanted what was stable, what was good, what was right. But all of a sudden, she wanted to pursue the thing of the world. And she began to chase after it. There's a new term in our, in our culture today. It's called the walkaway wife. I kind of got in on the tail end of it. But, uh, you know, for decades, men were just a bunch of knuckleheads. I mean, they were all messing around, having affairs, getting drunk, doing all that stuff. And so many men were the ones filing for the divorces. But today, it's the opposite. For every one divorce that is filed by a man, there's five that is filed by a woman. It's called the walkaway wife. Now, for a long time, men were chasing after things of the world. Well, you know, my, my wife doesn't cook right. My wife doesn't dress right. My wife doesn't talk to me right. I'm going to go get me another one. Well, you can go and get that one, but somebody probably done threw her back because she probably wasn't doing what the other guy wanted. This was years ago, and we just thought, man, if I can find somebody else, if I can find somebody else, if I can find somebody else, they'll meet my need. They'll make me happy. They'll do all of these things for me. And then when you go and you get that, you realize, okay, that's not where happiness lies. I mean, maybe it wasn't a woman for the man. Maybe it was a job. Well, this boss don't know what he's talking about. This, boss, this company's going nowhere. I got to get a new job. And you go get a new job. And you chase after that dude in order to pursue it. And you devote yourself into taking tests, into, into uh, polishing up your resume, into pulling strings, making phone calls. Do you know anybody who works at this company who could help me out? Come on. Am I the only one who's ever said something like that? And we're trying to do everything we can because we want to what? We want to catch it. We want to hopefully win it or gain it. And we think, man, if I could just get a new job, it'd be okay. Well, you know the reason that I'm not happy is because I'm riding around in this old truck. And if I just had a new truck, I could feel better about myself. It'd help my self-esteem. Make me feel better. And so we go on this whole pursuit of new vehicles, this whole pursuit of, of, of new mates, this whole pursuit of new lifestyles. Well, you know, the problem is I don't have a hobby. I need a hobby. You know, well, okay, I'm going I'm to devote myself to golfing. I'm going to devote myself to, to softball. I'm going to devote myself to baseball. I'm going to devote myself to gymnastics. I'm going to devote myself to basket weaving. I'm going to devote myself to whatever it may be. And we're going on all these missions thinking, if I could just get this hobby, I'm going to chase after it. I was thinking the other day, you know, my girls, my girls love to, to play softball. And uh, they're actually starting to get pretty good at it. And so, I mean, they love to play it. But I, I told Christy the other day, I said, it's amazing how the normal child in baseball or softball these days is handicapped. 
because they have this thing called travel ball. Now, I'm not picking on you if your kids play it. That's fine. But every weekend, they go somewhere else in the state, and that's all they do. All weekend, they play ball, play ball, play ball. And I thought, wow, you know, if a person doesn't have the money to go and play ball, to travel, go to all these different cities, rent hotel rooms, spend every weekend in another city, then their child's going to be handicapped. If they have a job, they have to work on Sunday. And they can't go every weekend. They can't run after their kids. They can't do all these things. Then they're handicapped. And you know, it's like they're so far behind because why, why, are, these, why, why are people obsessed with that? Because they have devoted themselves and their attention in the hope of attracting, winning, or gaining a scholarship. I mean, every Olympic athlete that trains, we're fixing to have the Olympics. I mean, they train day in, day out, morning, noon, and night. They eat certain meals. They have a certain diet. They go through a certain regimen. They go through all of these things, and they devote themselves. Why? Because they're chasing after the medal. They're chasing after these things. And Hosea's life was a wreck. And then all of a sudden, you know, she had this man that came into her life, provided her some stability, provided her a new home, a new direction, and provided her children. And all of a sudden she says, the children isn't good enough, the home isn't good enough. Now whether this is the man or the woman or whichever one's messing up, it doesn't matter, it's interchangeable. But the text here is that Hosea wasn't content and she went out. And then here's what the passage of Scripture says right here in Hosea. Look with me if you would, it says, So she shall pursue her lovers but not overtake them. What does it mean? It means, listen guys, listen ladies, lean in here. Parents, get this with me. Get this with me. I know, I, I encourage you to edify your children. I encourage you to strengthen your children. I encourage you to have your children involved in as much stuff as they can be involved in. But I'm going to tell you, that is not the end of all. That is not the great, um, the great victory. To think that my kids... I mean, listen, we just had the NFL draft. We just had it. I mean, we're still... That dude's going on forever. They're drafting these players, drafting these players. I mean, man, it's the greatest day of their life. I was picked. Out of all the football players in the world, I was picked. And they're so happy because they've been chasing after this all their life. And now they were finally picked. Who, who was drafted five years ago? Most people don't know. I mean, who was the number one pick five years ago? Nobody knows. It's kind of like James Dobson. You, how many of you know who James Dobson is? Focus on the family. Did you know he was a world-renowned tennis player? He won the collegiate championship for his college. You may have heard me share this before. If you, if you, you did, just tune me out. If We've got a lot of new folks here. One day he got a phone call not long ago. And they said, uh, we, we wanted to give you your trophy. You know, when you win the trophy, they, they put it there at the school, and they, they, they show it off. And, and he thought, man, after all these years, I finally get to bring my trophy home. And he said, man, that's great. And he started talking to the guy, and he's like, man, I'm so proud you called from the university and, and are giving me this honor to get my trophy. And he, the guy's like, man, don't get too excited. He said, I'm just a custodian. He said, I found it in the dumpster. I mean, decades ago, he was the cat daddy. He was on top of the world. The whole school was singing his praises. The whole country was singing his praises. But then years later, well, who's that old man? 
Here's his trophy. You know, the Bible devotes a whole book to this kind of stuff. It's called Ecclesiastes. Solomon said, all is vanity under the sun. If you don't believe me, go and read Ecclesiastes. And it's the end of, of Solomon's life. One of the wisest men that ever lived. The wisest man to ever live. Because the Bible said he would be the wisest man to ever live. Uh, he's the wisest man to ever live. And it says at the end of his life, all is vanity. All is lost except God. I was thinking the other day, uh, I heard a, uh, a someone say, uh, I had been on a television show, we were watching it. A guy was in trouble and, he talked about making a promise, and he said, man, he said, isn't that something? You were so sick the other day that you were praying for a, a God you didn't believe in to just take you right then. Take you right then. And so what's interesting is, what are we chasing after? In this passage of Scripture right here for Hosea, it was chasing after the limelight. For the prodigal son, you remember in Luke chapter 15, he was chasing after the things of the world and thought, man, if I could just get my daddy's money. If I could just get a hold of my daddy's money and I could just go out there, I could set myself up into a feel-good culture. And man, I could have myself a good time. But what happened to the prodigal son was the same thing that happened to uh, Gomer in the book of Hosea was after all of their pursuing, after all of their chasing, after all of their dreams, you know what happens? Nothing. You get old. You get old. Life vanishes away. I'm telling you, if there's one scripture in the Bible that's true, it's in the book of James. It says, life is but a vapor. It's just like a mist. It's here one moment and gone the next. I mean, you can talk to somebody who's 90 years old, and they'll talk to you about things of their childhood like it was yesterday. That's just a vapor. It's just a passing moment. The question is this. The question in every graveyard that you go into, they all have a date that the person was born, and they all have a date that the person died. On that tombstone, unless they're still living. They just got a little spot holding it there. But everyone that's occupied has a beginning date and an ending date. But you know something? That isn't the most significant thing on the headstone. The most significant thing on the headstone is the dash in the middle. Because that little dash in the middle, it shows you everything that person stood for, everything that person lived for. It's the part of their life that mattered. And today in our lives, as we're in this chase, we say, are we chasing the world? Are we chasing God? Are we, are we, are we chasing after the things of God? Are we chasing after the things that the Lord has in store for us? Are we chasing after others? Look with me if you would in Hosea chapter 3. In Hosea chapter 3 and verse 1 it says, And the Lord said to me, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man. She is an adulteress, even as the Lord lives, the children of Israel. Though they turn to their other gods and they love cakes of raisins, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and an omer of leche and of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the harlot or belong to another man. So will I also be with you. And so, man, as we look at this passage of Scripture, it's so interesting. Of what's happening is this girl had gone on her own wayside. She had gone on her own direction. 
Her life was in shambles. Her life was ruined. Her life was wasted. Her life was a debacle. Her life was an embarrassment. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know where to turn. She didn't know what, which way was up. As the old country boy said, she didn't know come here from Sikkim. And her life was just spinning out of control. And her life was a life that was filled with bad decisions. And she thought, nobody can help me. Nobody will love me. Maybe you're like that here today. You've made a lot of bad decisions. Maybe you've already walked away from your family. Maybe you've given up on your children. Maybe you've given up on your spouse. Maybe you have given up on God's plan for your life. <clears throat> Maybe you've given up on God's will for your life. Here's what I want you to understand. That God hasn't given up on you. Regardless of how dark the night is. The darker the night, the brighter the light. When we were in Haiti on our last trip, we were staying out kind of uh, away from the main house and there was no electricity where we were staying. And, you know, we're up on this mountain, so we're, we're pretty high to start with. And as we're up there, man, it's amazing, at about four in the morning, about four in the morning, when you would go outside, I mean, you would look up and it would be like, it was just so dark. But it, it, it looked, the skylight looked, the skyline looked, the stars looked so bright and so close and so big that it almost seemed fake. I, I told Pastor Ralph, Pastor Bob a couple, I mean, Brother Bob, I told him a couple of times, it just looks like something on a movie. You know, I mean, if you ever looked at, watched some of those old westerns, you saw the skyline, it just looked fake. I mean, you could just tell it was fake. And I said, man, it, it, it looked like you could just reach out and touch them. Why is that? One thing, there's no electricity. <laughs> so there's no artificial light. And so it's so dark. The skyline is so dark that anywhere there is, is natural light, that light seems so big and so bright and here's what i want you to know today is that the darker your night is the more lonely that your night is the more overcoming that your night is the brighter the light is that can shine into your darkness here's what i want you to understand is that god so loved the world that he gave his son to the world that the world might be saved that whoever would believe in him would not perish would not live a life of tor torment or hatred or defeat but would have eternal life. It says that for the Son did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. I want you to know something on the authority of the Word of God. He did, Jesus did not come and live a life and die on a cross and rose from the dead on that third day so that He can come here and heap condemnation on your life. That's not why He came into the world. He came into the world to take all of your condemnation, all of your failures, all of my trespasses, all of my sin, all of my guilt, and placed it upon His back. And He who knew no sin became sin, it says in 2 Corinthians, that I might become the righteous Son of God. The problem is, it says in John 3 and later on in that passage of Scripture is that men rejected the light because their deeds were evil. Oh, today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, here's what I want you to understand. 
regardless of where you may find yourself today. Maybe you're as low as you can get and you think, man, I can never get back to where I once was on the authority of the Word of God. You're believing a lie of the devil. God's not finished with you. Your best days are still ahead of you. As we had testimony a while ago in our worship service, it's our dear sister had been living with this for over 50 years, but I want you to know that God says, I don't care if it's been 100 years. If you're willing to give it to me, if you'll take my yoke upon you, I'll take your burden. Because my yoke is gentle and meek and lowly at heart. You can find rest for your soul. Oh, today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter how good you think you're doing right now, no matter how spiritual you think you may be, you think, man, I've never been closer to God. You may be even contemplating going out to the Red River when nobody's looking and trying walking on water because you're that spiritual. Amen. I want you to know that if you're not careful, if you're not careful, you'll fall from that lofty perch. You'll fall down. You'll succumb. I tell you what, you'll become so comfortable with the victory that you'll become complacent. And what begins to happen in your complacency is you'll begin to drift away. And you'll begin to settle for what's good. And before long, you'll look up and you'll be so far from where you once was. Listen to me, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I have never in 16 years, I've never had somebody walk into my office who was trying to repair their life with Christ and say this. I tell you what, Pastor, I just got fed up with that Christian lifestyle. And I woke up one morning just out of the clear blue, and I said, that's enough. I'm never going back to that church. I'm never going to have anything else to do with God, and I laid it down. I've never had one person tell me that. Here's what all of them say. Pastor, I don't know what happened. I can't, today, I can't tell you what happened. I mean, all I know is I remember loving the Lord. I remember serving the Lord. Heck, I even remember tithing. And then one day I just woke up and I was so far away. I was so far away from where I once was that all of a sudden my life was upside down. I want you to know that here's what God told Hosea. He said, you go and you get Gomer and you bring her home. And you bring her home. Man, don't you know Hosea was like, man, I don't know if I want to hear from God anymore. Amen. Am I the only one that God's ever told to do something you didn't want to do? And he went and there she was. Her life was such a mess. They were auctioning her off as a sex slave. And Hosea looked at her and he was standing in the crowd. <laughs> And the auctioneer started bidding, bidding her off. And there stood Hosea. Who'll give me a hundred? Who'll give me a hundred? Who'll give me two hundred? Who'll give me two fifty? Two fifty. Got two fifty. Who'll give me five hundred? Who'll give me five hundred? Five hundred right here. Give me five. Who'll give me seven fifty? Got five hundred right here. Give me seven fifty. Seven fifty. Seven. I'll give you seven fifty. Every time somebody bid, Hosea. And he bid and he bid and he bid till he bought her. Now the Bible doesn't say this, but humor me for a few moments, letting my imagination run wild. 
bet you Hosea probably said something like that. I mean, what, what do you say? When your wife who left you was auctioning off and you went and bought her. Don't you know that was an awkward first meeting again? Heck, I'm stuck with him now. He owns me. I like to think Hosea being the man of God he was, that he was faithful. I bet he probably said something like this. Come on, honey. Let's go home. You remember those little dresses you used to like to wear? I bought some for you. I bought some for you. You know that perfume you used to like? I picked some up on the way to the auction. Let's go home and clean you up. And he took her home and set her aside. He said, I'm not going to have sex with you. He said, we got to set each other aside. We got to let the purging take place. Purging of my life, the purging of your life. And the whole biblical importance of this was, he told Hosea after that, he said, now you go tell Israel that I can do the same thing for them that you did for Gomer. I know a lot of people that says even receive some of the counsel you know man you just need to go love her again you need to go love her again you need to go do this go do that, go do that. well here's what I want you to understand that if you're in a failing marriage we don't have the opportunity right now to be able to go buy your wife and bring her home go buy your husband and bring them home we don't have that opportunity at least I pray you don't. Because if it is, they're in way over their head. But here's what I want you to understand about God. You can never fall so far that His grace can't reach you. My brothers and sisters, on the authority of the Word of God, not from any religious-affiliated denominational hierarchy, but on the authority of God's word, you are never beyond the grip of his grace. It doesn't mean you're not going to walk through hell by the square inch sometimes. It doesn't mean everything's going to always be a rose garden. It doesn't mean that everything's going to always smell good and the sun's going to always shine. But here's what I want you to know on the authority of the Word of God. God's not being mean to you. God's not picking on you. God wants to perfect you because God's trying to get you out of yourself. He's trying to get me out of me that the Holy Spirit may fill up inside of me and my life may have power, may have His grace, may have His glory, and that I I may no longer desire to chase after all the things of the world, but that I would desire to chase after Him, His righteousness, His holiness, and others that are lost. You know what Hosea was good at? Chasing sinners. He chased her all the way down to the auction house. Say, come home, honey. Come home. Come home. Oh, today, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to chase after His children that He loved, that He fashioned, that He formed, that He anointed, that He ordained, that He sanctified before the foundation of the world for His intended purpose. He wants us to chase after Him and say, God loves you.
God loves you. He doesn't want you to... Listen, guys. This happened to me this week. Had this guy that I was working, hopefully getting to work on and pouring my life into him. And man, kind of working my way into that situation of putting my lines in the water. I was setting my lines. I was keeping my lines wet. But I wasn't getting any nibbles yet. And boy, I had this goodwill person come up in the middle of it. How are you in Jesus? How are you in Jesus, son? You talk about... I know that dude was uncomfortable because I was uncomfortable. And boy, he lit in. Might as well pull these lines up for a couple of days. Let the water settle down. I don't want you to chase after them with your 1611 King James Bible. Beating them over the head with it. Telling them to turn or burn, get right or get left. That's not what I want you to do. I want you to chase after them with the goodness of God. The mercy of God. The grace of God. Psalms 23 says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Listen, you don't have to go tell them they're sinners. They already know it. They need to know they're forgiven, that they can be forgiven, that God's grace is sufficient, that His mercy. Mercy. Y'all, you picking up what I'm putting down. God wants you to love them. He wants you to chase after. That neighbor is unkind. I could go into illustration after illustration, but you know you're picturing something right now. Those are the ones God wants you to chase after. Can I ask you this in closing one thing? Is there anybody in your life right now that you're chasing? I mean, like every day when you wake up, you pray for them. You're like, Lord, I'm believing you to give me this person. Do you have those kind of people? Do you have a hit list? I mean, every day you look at your hit list and say, Holy Ghost, high sheriff of heaven, sick them. Or let your goodness and mercy chase them all day long. Chase them, Lord. Lord, chase them. Let them know how good you are. People think you, you can only be saved when you realize how bad you are. I, I heard people say, I don't have no testimony. I got saved when I was six, and I never drank and did drugs or never run with anybody that did. I never had sex out of marriage. I don't have much to talk about. Well, help me. You're a trophy of grace. I mean, what better testimony? I gave my heart to the Lord when I was a child. And he's kept me all these days. And I've been faithful. You think because you don't have a testimony from where you was snorting cocaine and shooting up crack and running around and all this other stuff, you don't have nothing to brag about. 
We think that we can only be saved when we realize how bad we really are. How about you just realize how good God is? That he died for you in all your badness. And he wants to love you and transform you and take your rags and make them riches. One of the first songs I ever sang said, From the door of an orphanage to the house of a king, no longer an outcast, but a new song I'll sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God I belong. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been born in the Spirit, cleansed by His blood. Join heirs with Jesus as I travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. You don't deserve to be there. I don't. But he said I could be. Because I got an invitation from the king. Today with your head bowed. What are you chasing after today? I'm not telling you God doesn't want you to fish, hunt, play golf. I'm not telling you God doesn't want you to play softball, basketball, baseball, or soccer, or any other kind of ball. Sure God wants you to do that. He needs missionaries everywhere. But here's what I am telling you. That are you chasing after those things more than you're chasing after the heart of God? Are you chasing after those things more than the heart of God? If you are today, you can just lay it at His feet. say Lord here's my brokenness here's my rags and he'll reach down and pick them up maybe you're here today and you say pastor you don't know what I've done God cannot forgive me really Really? What about Paul? His whole job in life was to kill believers. God so radically changed him that he wrote over half the New Testament. About John Newton. You all love to sing Amazing Grace. Do you not know that he was one of the most wicked men the world had known? One of the most brutal slave traders there was? God radically changed him into a preacher of the gospel and a trophy of grace.
today there's some of you. You're a Christian. You've given your heart to the Lord. And you went astray. And you're back today. But you hadn't forgiven yourself. You just keep saying, how could I have done that to God? How could I have done that? How? Some of you today need to come down to this altar. You need to deal. You need to accept what God's done for you and then for, deal with it. Forgive yourself. You need to release the anointing and the power and the spirit in your life. Today. Church, love grew where the blood fell. For every man in misery, stars of hope sprang up. I don't care how dark your night is today. Jesus is the light of the world. And he loves you. And he wants to give you victory. Please, I beg you, don't believe a lie the devil that says, this is as good as it's ever going to be. I can't be forgiven. God made me this way. But don't believe that. God doesn't make broken. God, God did not create you as a creature of torment. He wants you to be a trophy of grace. He wants you to be his son and his children. <laughs> Some of you, God's dealing with you. You need to be a Hosea. You need to be somebody who chases after gomers and broken people. You need to be willing to get in the trenches. You need to be, you just, you just want to be a lover of sinners. There's only one thing I want on my headstone. I hope it'll be there. It just says he's a friend of sinners. Enough said. Because Jesus was. He loves you, and he wants to use you to change others. Father God, in Jesus' name, there's a lot of people in here today. Lord, maybe just a handful, I don't know. But Lord, you're touching their hearts. You're speaking something into their life. And God, you need a, we need victory in their life. Holy Spirit speaking in one ear, the devil speaking in the other ear, saying God doesn't love you, that church don't care about you, God's mean to you. If there really was a God, how could he let things in the world happen like they happen? Ever lie the devil? If you go down there, all that church wants is your money. We, we, don't, we don't have to, we don't want your money. We don't have to give here. We get to. I, you don't even have to. I'm not, I don't even care if you belong to this church. I want you to know my Jesus. I want you to know his mercy. I want you to know his grace. I want you to know his love. God loves you. We just need your help today for victory. Amen. As you stand to your feet today, have our invitation. There'll be some folks.